0: You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyds, an Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell.
1: Today on the show, I'm bringing you an interview with writer-director J.J. DeSegli, and uh, talking about his film, Can't Win, Do Try. He's also made another film called Jugular, which was very successful at the Melbourne Underground Film Festival, where it won Best Film. And uh, this is his second uh, effort, I suppose, as a writer-director. Can't Win, Do Try is screening on the 7th of May at Nova Cinemas in Melbourne, and in Perth on the 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Backlot Cinemas. All the information can be found at the Facebook page for Can't Win Do Try, which you'll find in the description of this episode. Can't Win Do Try, as described on IMDb, in a bid to extend his adolescence, Gordon convinces his reluctant fiancé to allow his best friend Jez and himself to live in the house they have just bought in a bachelor pad situation for the year before they get married. Uh, JJ was really generous with his time, and I hope you'll uh, indulge us. We do head towards WWE wrestling talk by the end of the podcast, but uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Enjoy the interview with JJ DeSegli.
0: You'll just walk away from me that easily. You are such a fucking pussy. (laughs) That's not, I'm not, what are you saying?
1: you got problems
0: coming out of your ass, my friend. Oh, you notice? (laughs) I got an idea. Stop acting like a mental patient. Don't take your side on this. Don't. You keep your mouth shut or I'll rip
1: your dick off and staple it onto the back of the neck. So, JJ, welcome to Pod me If You Can. Thanks very much for sitting down with me.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: So, before you made films, you were a writer. Was there one piece of work that made you want to try writing? I think I was... As a... Growing up, I, I read a lot,
0: so... I mean, in particular, I guess I really, and it's a very, it's a cliche, but The Catcher in the Rye, when I was about 14, I, I read repeatedly and I know, and the, the Lord of the Flies, I really liked a lot. But yeah, I mean, I just, I read a lot and I, I watched a lot of films, so I was always ingesting stories and writing those even as a kid i used to write stuff i used to i think i used to write like batman stories and stuff like that fan fiction
1: yeah i liked comics a lot when i was a kid too so so your first work was independently published and it was a novella uh did you find it difficult to to be a writer like to to get it going was it a lot of late nights or
0: uh yeah um, i mean i am a bit of an insomniac so i am my friend Greg Packers thinks I've read a lot and watched so much because I have so many more hours in the day because I don't sleep that much. Uh, what happened? I wrote that first book. Uh, I'd moved to England to teach after I got out of university, and I I was um writing. I wrote a novel there, and I never did anything with it, and then I came back, and I wrote, Yeah, the Sea is Not Yet Full, which is that first novella, and I went to a few different publishers, and it – they wanted changes is a little bit experimental and stuff. And I eventually just went independently. Um, I, I think it, it kind of just came naturally. I had, had an idea. I think that one is a little bit influenced. I like, really, uh, by, um, lesson zero British analysis book. And, uh, all the, when I was in England, the school I was at, it was like one of the greatest of schools. It was a pretty tough job by straight out of uni. It was, a. Uh, um Bedlam every day pretty much but they had this great library which none of the kids really used and I managed to read uh, a whole bunch of books it was only like 22 I was reading like Joyce and Hemingway and all these European authors while I was there which was you know uh, really inspiring uh yeah I focused a lot on literature back then so
1: yeah I find um some writers I speak with there's a lot about legacy and a lot about their own voice and just having a story to tell so uh, Leading towards films, you know, um, I found a quote from you that says, I think I loved movies before books. You obviously have a real appreciation for film. And going through your Twitter, you can see that. Did you always want to try filmmaking? I think, uh, yeah, I,
0: I did. I, I loved movies and I've always loved film. And, yeah, as I said probably before before I read, I used to watch films obsessively. Um, it's funny, like, you try to think of the one that makes you think oh, I want to make movies too i mean a movie like goodfellas i which i really really like um but i haven't haven't seen for a little while but you know it's one of those ones where you see it when you're a kid and i probably related to it a lot early on i'm probably referring to this because i wrote something about it the other day but as a kid i am um, you know i used to see the italian family stuff and it, it really spoke to me that way and then as you get older you start to see the filmmaking and then I didn't even really even notice the violence, I reckon, until I'd seen it ten or twelve times. Then I, you start to see, okay, maybe he did that to make you implicit in what they're doing. I, I did love movies first. I mean, I was like all kids: you know, Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park and Ninja Turtles, and and I really loved eighties uh, action movies a lot as a kid. <laughs> um, like Child Bandana. of the
1: Eighties, yeah,
0: yeah, Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Chuck Norris. So it was, I used to like keep. Um, notebooks with the names and the movies I'd seen and stuff like that. Um, but the ones I think that made me start to realize maybe I could were uh, the ones that I related to a lot. It was you know Swingers and um, Edward Burns's first film, Brothers McMullen, and um, Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming, where maybe I was relating to the characters and thinking oh, I could I could maybe write something like that. These people remind me. Of my brothers and my friends and their relationships. And that was probably when I wrote a screenplay probably when I was like 18 or 19. And we used to muck around with video cameras and nothing that was ever any good. It was just camcorder stuff. But yeah, I was always mucking around with it. But I started to write longer form short stories and I focused on that for a period before. And filmmaking is more difficult because I didn't have any film background. So I was kind of just doing it by myself the the jump from making something by yourself to having a crew and i did that again I, i'll probably talk about that later with how jugular was different to coen do
1: well that's interesting yeah your your first film 86 minutes long feature film jugular is very much a one-man show you mentioned you know not having a film background you went and did this yourself didn't you one-man crew in melbourne yeah, it was just me.
0: Uh, well, me and Greg Packer's. Greg was there pretty much for every shot. But yes, I bought a – I wrote a screenplay and it was um, – I did a little – a couple of production companies were liking it. And I was having a few meetings here and there. But again, I was getting frustrated with the uh, red tape and the – like people saying to me, the, the screenplay is not formatted correctly. And I was like, oh, well, what? Like, I, I get <laughs> you're not gonna see <laughs> um, that
1: formatting on the screen yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it was just and my original plan was to do a robert rodriguez one-man crew deal anyway um so yeah i, I managed to scrape together about six grand and bought a canon 60d and some lenses and a zoom mic uh, even though i didn't use that the whole time i cracked the camera and recorded sound straight into the camera using magic lantern and yeah and we set about shooting it um yeah, just just me. I was uh, doing everything: so lighting, camera, directing, sound. Robert yeah.
1: Robert Rodriguez is fantastic. He gives those film school uh, DVD extras on his movies, and really makes you think you can do it, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he does. And I have done a lot of research. I, like I wrote the script uh, to give me something to be able. You know, there was I, I used what I had so.
1: Yeah,
0: that's it's, exactly what he teaches, yeah. Yeah, so I I mean it's all shot in my apartment looking out the window of my apartment around the apartment so I was making it look empty and then putting it back to normal. Yeah, so I'm I'm from Freya and I didn't have great connections uh, when I got because you know you don't know anyone. Um so Greg was fantastically helpful in getting locations which eases your budgetary constraints um so he was kind of organizing locations and we'd check them out and then we'd, sometimes we'd actually just shoot the, he'd, uh, you know, uh, reassure me that it worked. So we'd go there and
1: work it out. And uh, like Robert Rodriguez, did you finance the film yourself with your own blood donations? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, some of it was my
0: money. Um, some of it was I came back to Perth and... A few friends, uh, brothers kind of chipped in. I knew what I kind of needed to do it. Um, yeah, it was a few people chucked some money in and the rest was mine. And I mean, a lot of it, it's funny when you're doing it. I mean, you say six grand. I guess some of that was going towards, you know, me just living. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that's not just going straight. I guess you're kind of paying yourself. We paid some of the actors. Some of the actors refused payments, some took payment. Uh, most of it went into the equipment um, and lunches. Feeding people and giving
1: them coffee. So, and uh, in 2013, you had some success at the Melbourne Underground Film Festival.
0: Yeah, we we got we got to screen at opening night, and then we took out um, best film, best director, and best actor, which Greg Greg won best actor. He had two films playing in that particular festival. One was his own, and one was mine. So he won best actor for both. Yeah, it was and it was fantastic. The movie got such good response. And muff uh, Melbourne Underground is um so supportive of independent film. it's really a unique festival, so I was gonna say, did that open some doors for you or uh yeah, yeah, no it it's it it opened doors in terms of making more friends and colleagues in the independent film industry. It wasn't like um production companies come knocking on my door. what it did do though, I mean, yeah. In a way, I guess it did because I came back to Perth, the Frio, and I met a producer um, who was into his name, Simon Camp. He was really into trying to make micro-budget films and trying to make them on smaller budgets. And he read Can't Win Do Try. One thing led to another, and we ended up making it. We probably met in October and we were filming in February. So,
1: And so you've gone from a one-man crew to... You know, a full crew really for can't win, do try. Yeah, um, it, that's a bit of a jump.
0: Yeah, and it was a steep learning curve. I mean, it was—it wasn't a massive crew. We had a, a cinematographer, a sound guy. Uh, we the most people with the cinematographer at times had three assistants, and but that was only on maybe two days out of the twenty. Uh, and then the actors. We were still—it was still a small budget film. It was uh, you know probably five or six times what we spent on jugular so it wasn't um it would still be considered micro budget um but the actors were doing their own hair their own makeup their own clothes all that kind of stuff um which is kind of something i you know researching how those kind of films are made i heard edward byrne say that repeatedly is a great way to save money the biggest thing was yeah working with cinematographer and the sound guy and how much time stuff can take when you're not just doing it yourself like setting up lighting and coming to a compromise on the way the shot should be done because I come in with specific ideas and cinematographer have his own and we had a couple of you know trying times early on but it all it all worked out in the end and you start to get a rhythm going and yeah and I mean I think I the actors it was that was all that was all good it was more working with the crew which I'd never really done before
1: so and um had you like wanted to make a second film uh, following obviously some success with your first film did you write can't win do try you know straight away afterwards and think i want to keep doing this
0: yeah i mean i definitely wanted to keep doing it i wasn't sure how i was going to keep doing it because um jugular was such a singular thing i mean i it's funny though i did i did actually try to do it the same way first so I tried to make Carl Wendy try as a one-man crew, and we shot about 20 minutes. Um, it kind of was a little bit of a disaster where people were – we hired a house. We had – the actors with us. so we were going to go there for a week and shoot the bulk of it, but a bunch of the actors um, were kind of – there was incidents in their life and stuff where they couldn't come, so we lost time. And I kind of realized if you're shooting – six people in a scene it's tough to do as a one-man crew but i did i, I shot about 20 minutes of it and it kind of fell apart and then i met simon and it kind of came back together and there's maybe two of the original cast that made it into the finished film and um yeah so it went from there but yeah i did i did try
1: <laughs> but yes yeah so
0: <laughs> yeah I, I did i, I had a we had a real go at it, it just didn't work. But um, I can't wait to try and kind of start it as a 30, 30 page episode that I was thinking of trying to use as a pilot or a web series. There's so many web series now, I'm just wary of them. But I think, I mean, you know, it is going to go that way. I eventually, mean, about everyone I know is making one. So it's um, there's so much material. But I eventually, it got to the party scene. And that was the end of the first episode. And then I was like, "What if they woke up in the morning? So, and we s- see what keeps happening." So yeah,
1: following the characters for sure. Um, did any of those shots from your original twenty minutes make it into the film?
0: No, because it was a. Um, I, again, I was shooting on the 60D, with very different lighting setups and all that stuff. And we shot the the finished film on a Sony FS7, so um, much better camera. So no, nah. oh, actually no. I lied. the The credit sequence is is something I shot originally using a GoPro and the sixty D. So
1: not a total waste of time then. Don't worry. No, no, and it kind of gave me.
0: It did help actually because I yeah I worked out some stuff I probably wasn't working what was going to be difficult and the relationships and stuff. I did see some stuff, so it wasn't a yeah. Just say it wasn't a waste of time, but it was very frustrating at the time. But um
1: yeah, it was worth it. So tell us um you know, where does this story come from? Because it has a feeling about it that maybe some of the characters are based on people you've come across in real life.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the, the 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 premise of convincing your fiancé to buy a house with you and then turn it into a bachelor pad for the year before you get married is something a guy I'm good friends with kind of did. And it, and it wasn't the way it is in the film where – it's like some dastardly plot to get one more year of freedom. It was just something they arranged and it happened. And we we hung out of that house a lot. Uh, when I was, you know, 21, 22, 23. I think I was twenty-three. So, and yeah, the the guy who moves in was probably my best friend. Um and yeah. But the Ohara character is a amalgam of about four or five different guys who i have known over the years, um, friends and guys I've played football with and people I've come across and uh, you kind of just put them all together and make this um, Uber mensch party animal kind of go. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then the, maybe the, uh, you know, seeing someone from your past stuff again, I think everyone has that, that uh, experience kind of a universal experience. Um, so I, just, I did tap into some of my own stuff there, but I was trying to make that experiences, uh, universal as possible
1: yeah there's always the one that got away everybody yeah. has that um o'hara you mentioned um he sometimes feels like the comic relief in the film other times he sort of takes the lead there's a lot of scene stealing from uh the actor
0: <laughs> it's funny Yeah, simon the producer said I, he was like it's almost o'hara's film when he read it because it's almost his journey as much as it is gordon the, who's the lead which is something I didn't really notice when I'd written it. Um, I think it maybe is a little bit unconventional the way it's scripted in the acts and stuff. He picked up on, and I was convinced it would work. Um, but yeah, it is, and I think you know you grow as you're writing stuff. You grow to love the character you're writing, and I I did. I think when you're writing it, like, oh, can I get O'Hara in here again? Because it's fun when he's there. Possibly. I mean, I think I probably relate to the lead and the friend. The most, I think, when I think about it now, I think like Jez and Gordon um, are probably a split of m- like two sides of my personality, possibly. Oh uh, uh, are, like I said, <laughs> people I've known over the years. And I think sometimes I do tend to hang around people who are kind of a little extreme when they drink and stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm like a witness to the craziness.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Something to write about, I guess. Yeah, possibly. So, what does the blooper reel look like for this film? Because I'm guessing O'Hara must have prompted a lot of laughs. Yeah, there
0: was. It was actually a really nice environment when we shot it. Because, like I said, it was it was a low budget. People, the house we shot in was the producer's dad's house, and he kind of moved out for three weeks. So it was a little bit like a camp where the three, because three of the actors were in Jugular, so they were from Melbourne. They flew over. And they were kind of living at that house. Uh, while we were shooting so you'd get there in the morning eat breakfast and leave at night you know have a beer and stuff with everyone so yeah the proof it, it is pretty funny there's some scenes that we cut out as well um early on throwing custard tarts in people's faces and stuff yeah there is there is a lot of a lot of uh, funny stuff there it's funny some some actors are very good at holding their laughs and others it's a you know it's they're much more giggly we didn't have a massive problem with that um but yeah, it was good fun.
1: <laughs> and so the, will the film be R-rated? I know it's obviously got a lot of heavy adult themes. Are you looking for an R rating?
0: We we wouldn't mind, to be honest. But it's hard to say. We we haven't gone through that process yet. The screenings we're doing, uh, you're allowed to do five in each state um, before you rate it. So we haven't passed that barrier yet. Um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But then again, I see so many other comedies these days that are pushing, you know, boundaries, like um, even TV shows like Broad City and Sunny, and they push boundaries so far. I don't know if ours is any worse than that. Um, yeah. Like the trailer for that new movie, Chips, is some of the jokes in there are like, they seem R-rated, but it seems to be MA these days, so I, I can't tell.
1: It's tricky. It's a tricky world and one for the MPDAA to determine, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, there's no graphic... Sex scenes or violence—it's all really language. I mean, I suppose there is a couple of things in there that possibly could be construed as needing an R rating. I'd say adult themes for sure. <laughs> yeah, it kind of—I wouldn't mind an R rating to be honest. Um, at least people know what they're gonna get <laughs> when they come in to see it.
1: So, tell me, what was your best day on the set of Can't Win, Do Try, and what was your worst day on the set? There's a
0: couple of times um, when we shot that. The party scene, which is cut up into timestamps, now we actually shot as one nine-minute one take originally. I think, just due to, due to budgetary constraints, the party looked a bit dead in between because we just didn't have the extras to do it. But um, that doing that kind of shot really interests me, and it, it took us a lot of effort to do it. We got about we did it about nine times, and we got about five that went the whole way through. It just the energy just wasn't there um in the final cover. but that was that was really fun. But also really hard, but um, just kind of enthralling to make try something like that on such a small budget. Also, the the day when um, boy boy meets world jumped his BMX off a jetty. That was kind of
1: fun. <laughs> uh, Your big stunt this, of the film. <laughs> <laughs> that was
0: actually one of the last things we did. It was all these kids watching. You can kind of hear them cheer as he goes off the jetty. But yeah, and the tough stay, early on, there was a couple of times where the cinematographer and I weren't exactly on the same page and we kind of wasted time and um, almost, you know, argued a little bit. And they were tough early on. We kind of, uh, we, there's a whole scene that kind of probably missed out on being in the film because we didn't do it correctly, probably because we didn't prepare well enough, for the both of us, and it just didn't work out in the end it didn't come out the way I wanted it to and probably the way he didn't want it to um and so we had to have a big meeting that night and it all got sorted out and it all turned out well and um all's well that ends well there was no issues after that day but uh, yeah that was a tough day early on it was probably only about four or five days in I was like oh my god this is this is going to be a disaster but we all it all worked out in the end
1: how did you find the editing process? Because you edited this film yourself, didn't you? I did, um, and I really enjoy
0: editing. Um, I, it's something I really get a lot of um, happiness out of doing. It was long-winded, and I mean, hopefully, uh, that I mean that that edit that we've got there now is 120 minutes long, and uh, I'm I, I like it. The producer likes it, but it may. I mean, it may end up being the director's cut. We're not sure. We, we've shown it once and the audience really liked it at Cinefest. It was like a, went really, really well. Um, but as we show it to more and more audiences, we'll start to determine if that's the cut that we stick with. But hopefully it is. I really like that cut. I think I'm worried the more I cut out of it, it'll become like a balls to the wall comedy rather than a. The drama of it playing as well, but we'll see.
1: Was it a big sort of change writing a comedy? Because Jugular obviously isn't as funny, right?
0: <laughs> no, Jugular's a yeah kind of psychological thrill. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think maybe I, I think it came pretty naturally to me because I watch a lot of those things, uh, and my friends, you know. Uh, I mean, I suppose everybody's friends. It's all based on laughter, right? You know, having the same sense of humor is a massive part of um, friendship. And I'd written comedy stuff before, similar kind of things with this. And the, that that the thing at the party where you know the, I don't want to give too much away, but there's an incident at the party that that actually happened. So we'd been talking about that incident for years. <laughs> And trying,
1: you've immortalized it.
0: Yeah, we were trying to find different ways to do it. We were like thinking, do we do like some Dave Chappelle incident thing, like you know where you reenact it and then commentate about it, or doing all different ways to this crazy thing that happened, you know, what it, about thirteen years ago now? So, but yeah, we finally got it into something.
1: I love the cartoon poster you've done for the film. I think it's great. I also wanted to just ask about your lead because. The character of gordon obviously he's the hero of the film the actor harry quinlan is it yes he had uh, no other film experience
0: yeah harry Harry's a well i found harry i trawl through star now every now and then looking for actors i just and i put them i write down their names and i go and even if it's just one line or something they do and i go that that was interesting harry was making these youtube videos um where he was kind of talking to himself He'd he'd play both characters, and um I just came across him, and he had that that thing. Uh, he's very very natural with tricky dialogue, Harry. Um, and uh, when we I met him, I kind of had to convince Harry to do it, but you know we're good good friends now. But yeah, he just had that thing. I wanted like a laid back intellectual guy who you believe would um. He's very believable for me, and um, the situation could make it work. I just picked up on that, and I really wanted him to do it. And I kind of had to convince him. He was one of the guys who was in the original, uh, along with BMW, which is Christian Reed. They were the two who came through to the finished film. But yeah, I just—I honestly—I found him um, on Star Now. He's actually just shot a web series by himself too, um, which is actually quite impressive. He's playing two characters again, and he's composited himself into different shots i think it's coming out in like a month or so he kind of yeah, did that give w- it a plug yeah it's called plum loco he he. um and i think it's coming out in about a month i think he can watch a trailer now um but yeah it's pretty cool he plays two characters kind of like adaptation or something like i said I'm just star now a lot of the casting i mean the jugular people i i knew already but some of the other like um chelsea gibson who plays the girl he meets at the club, um, that was through a friend who worked at a video store and he just said, oh, this girl who works here is an actress and Bianca who plays Sloane, my cousin went to high school with and knew that she was doing some acting at uh, university. So she came into audition. It was it was kind of strange how we got some people.
1: I was going to ask you about the video store. So in WA, you guys still have video stores? They're still popping up? That—that <laughs> <laughs> That
0: is the last bastion, that place. Um. There was a couple. There was Jumbo, which I shot uh, something for Jugular, and you can see it on YouTube where we talk about influences. And um, the Starland is the last bastion of um, and it's great. It's, but I don't know how much longer that's going to be there. I know the owner pretty well, and he's like kind of doom, doom saying it um that it won't last much longer. But that place has actually got a section with that's broken up into directors and stuff, so it's it's really awesome. But he's trying like a new membership thing where you pay kind of like you pay month to month which you know kind of trying to match up with netflix and that kind of stuff that payment method but i'm subscribing
1: yeah. to the video store yeah
0: yeah you come in like like 50 bucks or 30 bucks a month and you can take out a new release in a weekly every day kind of thing so uh,
1: so say that someone listening to this has written something and is considering taking that step and making their film or their tv show or their web series what advice would you give them on uh, making it happen
0: uh, I mean, I think a lot of the time it's just a matter of doing it. Um, that is almost the hardest part. A lot of, uh, and I think I've said this before, possibly, I think a lot of people self-sabotage by creating something that they're never going to be able to make unless they have a million or $2 million because they're going to have, you know, some foot chase across roofs or a car chase or, or a bank robbery. Yeah. It's just something that you just can't shoot on a small budget. Um, But then, I mean, you can pull off, you know, look at Evil Dead and, uh, you know, stuff like that. They're done on very small budgets, even though it was still $100,000, it's still small, but and FX are a lot easier to do these days than back then, don't have be practical, but you just, I'd write, the best advice is write something you can make and then just do it. I think, um, like with jugular, I mean, that could have gone any number of ways. I think it could have ended up a disaster where it just kind of got lucky and, um, did well at muff which gave me a step to meet some people who get me another one made and i mean now uh, you know even getting another one made now is a is difficult but you just have to keep plugging away i think um yeah just just doing i think you know it's it's not what you say it's what you do that matters and it's a big difference between the people who end up with finished products and people who don't
1: and uh, this is really like not an adolescent story but you know a story of guys in their 20s are you thinking as you grow up you'll keep tackling these kind of phases of life
0: i do find that that particular period funny uh where you're caught in that that shore between you know almost like that's a john Keats poem land and sea you don't really know what you're doing with your life um that does interest me that part um and like gordon gordon's character in the movie is kind of funny he he doesn't really have any control or any will. He just kind of goes with the flow all the time, which I think a lot of people do. And he, uh, Maybe becoming an adult sometimes is going, you know, what? I actually want to do this and I'm going to do that rather than just letting the wind push you where you need to go. And that's kind of hopefully where he ends up, even though I'm not sure he does exactly. Yeah, I, I think Jugular was kind of about a guy who moved to a new town and then Takes I mean, he was kind of crazy before he got there. But the next few things I've got that we're trying to make uh, are kind of genre-y in a small, gritty sci-fi kind of way. And there is one that's kind of a road movie. We're looking and we almost made that. We just couldn't find the right male lead. Um, And the other two are these gritty, small sci-fi films kind of in the vein of uh, Primer or upstream color that would be the inspiration career stuff who really uh enjoys films um and yeah we're just we're trying to get those off the ground now we've also got a pilot something that we want to do but yeah just getting them off the ground you know it's as difficult it's always as difficult as the first thing you do i'm starting to find
1: <laughs> so, so, yeah so which one do you think you'll try and tackle next
0: uh well honestly i've i'm pushing for all of them and which other kind of lands i do because i i've have belief in all of them it's just a matter of Getting all the ducks in a row with finding, you know, it's always a matter of if you find an actor who's willing to take it on, if you find a great cinematographer, and then you can kind of go from there. Yeah, the one that I'm looking at now is this the sci-fi kind of kind of one. But we, like I said, we almost made the road movie last year, and the the pilot we've um we mucked around. We've talked like got right down to budgets and stuff for that one before as well. So
1: you uh, refuse to be pigeonholed, don't you? Well, I think I think I, I like I watch a really big
0: broad array of stuff like um I don't really uh, have I mean have things I go back to but I think I kind of go in runs of watching films but yeah I don't I'd like to be a filmmaker or even an artist who can do all kinds of different stuff because um, I enjoy all kinds of different stuff I mean I love horror I love westerns I love foreign films I love uh, you know, um, just really stupid comedies, really smart comedies. Um, so I don't, don't want to, yeah, whatever, whatever's there, whatever takes my fancy at the time, I'll really put everything I can into it, and yeah.
1: A couple of quick questions, just because they're in, can't win, do try. Uh, who's your football team, your AFL team?
0: The Dockers. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was lines in there um that we cut when he first meets when he first sees Molly at the shops um when he runs into the girl he went to university with, he asks her which football team to be back for. And she says, free, and he's kind of like nods to his friend and then looks back at her like, this is going to work. So but well, we cut <laughs> it out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of AFL references that still make the, the film though.
0: Um, there is. And I, I'm a, I'm a, I, I do love football a lot. I, I watch it a lot and talk about it a lot with my friends. Um, I almost talk about that s- stuff more than I talk about, books and movies <laughs> because my friends are kind of more into that kind
1: of stuff. And uh, wrestling references. This film makes a ton of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, uh, again, and these are jokes that probably my brothers and I, uh, especially my younger brother, we cracked these jokes because we were, again, it was something we were really obsessed with when, between the ages of probably 10 and I don't know, probably 18. I, I used to watch it a lot, but that was back in the days before that. When that attitude era stuff started, I kind of zoned out, but I don't know whether it was whether I zoned out or whether I just got older and I had other things to worry about. It's hard to say. My brother claims as soon as Brett the Hitman Heart started losing, I stopped watching. So uh,
1: he was your favorite? <laughs> yeah, he was.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Look, I get it. Um I grew up in a, a family full of boys watching wrestling, so uh, we were still watching during that attitude era. But um uh, I wound up making a documentary about the professional wrestling scene in Canberra as well. So I think it's stuck with me.
0: Cool. Yeah. The, some of those wrestling docos are fantastic. So.
1: They are. Yeah. And I don't think mine's nearly as good as some of the best. So <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's
0: a very interesting place. Those The guys who do it are always kind of have these great stories. And so, but yeah, it was something I, I don't know, even when I found out it was fake, it was, you know, <laughs> which you do at about what, 13 or 14, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. Then you still kind of, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange phenomena, but even now I watch, you know, I go to YouTube and watch interviews with old wrestlers and some channel, my brother showed me this thing the other day, uh, where they did a rehash of every WrestleMania. It was like a 10 minute video on every WrestleMania. And it was like really fun to watch, <laughs> even the ones I didn't know anything about, um, and I do occasionally like this year. I like the Royal Rumble. I'm always interested in watching, even though when I watch it, I'm like, this isn't great. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah,
1: I still. That's the only event I watch this year, the Royal Rumble. Um, it's the same. I I find uh, there's definitely going to be some surprises, some cameos. You know, you get a bit more of a story that way, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's the one I caught too, and I was like, this is it's fun, but it's not the same as when you're kid it's like yeah it's very exciting when you're a kid
1: (laughs) yeah for sure for me i always found it was the um the bits between the wrestling matches that were interesting to me the story of why they were fighting each other yeah and um, i think that's part of you know storytelling and maybe you know early examples of it
0: yeah no you're right it is those um yeah like and you know stuff like hitman heart versus Shawn michaels these clashes of per squeaky clean versus this guy with you know huge charisma and you know it was it was really interesting to me back in the day and it was a different back then too like you had to wait at the video store and go and check is summer slam out is royal rumble out isn't it There were huge events in my childhood waiting for a new WrestleMania to come out
1: <laughs> but you see the rock is now the biggest box office drawer in the world so it's not as if it's gone away
0: no, it's true, isn't it? And I mean, what a what a charismatic guy too. He's, <laughs> I remember, he, I mean, yeah, because he was like a chump wrestler, and then he got the microphone, and he was awesome. Yeah, and he's a good actor too. I mean, he's killing it, right? That Fate of the Furious film just is didn't it just break records for opening weekends in America
1: or something? Yeah, and it's on its way to a billion dollars. I've actually, I think
0: the only one of those films I've seen is the first one and the Tokyo Drift one. Okay, actually, one sure. in three, sure. I should. I. I. I kind of get. I have a weird thing, or it's for really not weird, but I like to watch the entire franchise. Sometimes, like I just rewatched Friday the Thirteenth, and I, I'm thinking of watching Nightmare on Elm Street. But yeah, like I'd like to watch all of the uh, Fast and Furious films just to see. <laughs>
1: well, they're going to make ten of them. So if you can wait four or five years, you can watch everything all at once.
0: <laughs> Marathon. Yeah, it's. I do like doing that. <laughs> I do like having those big where you watch four or five movies on a Saturday night
1: well congratulations I'll say it can't win do try it's all finished up and we look forward to seeing what you do next and uh, next we've got Melbourne screenings and Perth screenings for you you'll obviously be travelling uh, to yep. watch it with the audience?
0: Yeah, it was it the Melbourne one is on the 7th of May at Cinema Nova. Um, yeah, and I'll we'll be over there. And uh, Matt Filani who plays O'Hara, Chris Millington, who plays Jez, and Fianna Daru, who plays Molly, will all be there. And uh, Greg Packers, the actor from Jugular, is going to host the event. And then... Um, the Perth ones are the ninth, tenth, and eleventh of May, and uh, I'll be there. I think there's a Q&A after every night that night as well, and different actors will be there on different nights. And Simon Camp, also the producer, will be there too. So
1: I can't can't wait to see which of your projects you go with next, and what you know what keeps the ball rolling for you. And for now, congratulations, nice work.
0: Cool. Thanks so much for having me. Um, really enjoyed it.
1: That was my interview with director J.J. DeSegli, whose film Can't Win, Do, Try is screening on the 7th of May at Nova Cinemas in Melbourne and the 9th, 10th and 11th in Perth at the Backlot Cinemas. All the information for screenings and tickets are available at the Facebook page, which you can find by searching Can't Win, Do, Try or following the link in the description of this episode. Tune in next time at podmeifyoucan.com We could be dealing with the Lego Batman movie. We could be dealing with some movies we've never seen that we really should have. Sometimes we deal with these classic films that uh, for some reason or another we've never seen before. Lloyd and I have some really interesting ones coming up. And uh, as well, check out our YouTube channel, which you can find at podmeifyoucan.com, where we always watch uh, a film with somebody famous in it. You may never have heard of the film, but you'll definitely heard of the actor who's been cast in the film. Uh, we've done some real classics and there's over a 100 episodes of obscure movies with famous stars in them. So tune in next time to podmeifyoucan.com and be sure to check out Can't Win Do Try at your earliest convenience. Hit it. Ooh, oh.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com Podmeifyoucan. If You Can. Movie Reviews.